This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known people about their lives, their careers, and navigating those difficult moments along the way. I'm Giles Paley-Phillips, and with me in his shed of destiny is Jim Daly. What did he call it last week? The Cabin of Destitution or something. something. Yeah, de- that's right. De- um, yes, I am in the cabin, uh, the cabin, and uh, I'm good. I'm feeling good today. How are you? Well, the sun's out, actually. It's been a really wet... It's half-term. So we're recording this half-term. And it's been pretty soggy um, week. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and yesterday, we do our half-term tradition. The, 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 the children insist um, on getting a McDonald's. Um, right. And so m- my theory is you've got to, you're going to have to earn it. So we walk to the nearest McDonald's, which is um, four miles away. Um, yep. So I that's make them fair. walk, yeah. make them walk there and back to get them. So yeah, so it's that's 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 what a little tradition that's started happening for us. I think that's fair. I yeah. think that's totally fair. Yeah, everyone wins. Then they get the McDonald's and 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 lots of exercise, fresh, fresh air. air. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's to- that's totally fair. Um, I've heard McDonald's in decades. Mm. I don't think it's been You're a not, long I definitely time. Definitely missing out, mate. <laughs> They do do some veggie stuff now, though. So they do. Know. They have a plant burger. This feels like an advert from McDonald's. Um, yeah, yes, something yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. So they are. Let's stop. Let's stop talking about them because I, yeah. I think we're giving them <laughs> free airtime. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's been wet and rainy here. Actually, we had the storm. Oh, Steve, or I can't remember what they're called now. That's right, Dudley. And um, I, I and I want to say it in the accent, which is really bad, isn't it? Like Dudley. Um, <laughs> that's I, every time I sort of hear it on the weather, I, I want the the weather um, yeah. presenter to say it in that accent, in a in a Brummie accent. Yeah, because my wife's dad um, dad was from from Dudley, so they she she always says it like that as well. Weirdly, I don't know anyone from Dudley, but I would say it like that as well, which mm. is which is very odd. I have no reason to do that. No. Um, 
but yeah, Storm Dudley hit hit. I didn't hit here, but it was yeah. There was some stuff knocked over, and it was uh, yeah. It's been blustery today. Mm. It does seem better, um, but apparently the builders tell me uh, that Dudley will hit us again tonight. Apparently, uh, in a repeated attack. Um, so we're gonna have to be on our. So you're gonna be bludgeoned, bludgeoned by we're Dudley. Be bludgeoned by Dudley. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna be absolutely smashed by Dudley. Yeah, in the wee hours when we're at our most vulnerable mm. just classic dudley yeah um, but yeah hopefully it will um it'll be okay um yeah, so let's hope it doesn't cause too much damage to anybody yeah and i just i shouldn't houses if you are around the uk and, and and you are in the path of storm dudley i hope you're doing okay do, yeah. do, strap stuff down and, and hopefully mm. dudley doesn't, doesn't yeah stay safe yeah. batten Please down the hatches safe. indeed indeed um we've got a fantastic guest this week um very excited we've got phil wang oh. like an absolute yeah, and as it turns out, an incredibly nice guy, lovely guy. And it's funny, I said at the at the top of the of the pod, I mentioned that I'd been people had been asking me this week who who was going to be on the pod and who we're talking to, and I said Phil Wang. And honestly, there was just sort of universal love in for Phil. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's obviously a very popular guy. And yeah, and and and, and I can you can see why he's he's a really nice guy, but also a very very talented comedian. Yeah, very, he's, a, he's a lovable guy. I think mm. like that's that's yeah, he definitely is. And and and. Delighted to report that he was even more lovable uh, on Zoom uh, live in the podcast as well. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. And um, it's a great episode because we, we, we do a lot of tangents, which obviously our listeners know that we love doing on the pod. But uh, there's some, some really lovely bits about growing up and, and moving back here from Malaysia and, um, and creativity and getting into stand up. And there's some really lovely bits, lovely bits of advice chucked in with some very funny anecdotes. So it's, uh, it's a peak. It's a peak blank episode. Yeah, it's great because Phil's written this brilliant book called Side Splitter, and you know, which I've started reading, and yeah, it's just so there's so much great stuff in there, and it's kind of a series of essays. And he, I've, like I said to him on the podcast, he's very quick to sort of say it's not a memoir, but then sort of in the next <laughs> paragraph says, well, maybe it's part memoir. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's a brilliant, brilliant book, and it's all about yeah, it's that contrasting and maybe feeling a bit of an outsider. He he he, he was born in Stoke-on-Trent, but then moved to Malaysia and lived there for many years before coming back in his sort of late teens and. And yeah, it's just that sort of feeling, um, you know, sort of part Malaysian, part British and, and having yeah. that sort of contrast and, you know, this mixed race heritage that he has and, and wanting to kind of unify those things in a, in a certain way. But it's, it's a brilliant book and yeah, it's uh, um, a treat to read and, and it was a treat to sit and talk to him about it. So that book is called Side Splitter. It is. And uh, is it available now? It is. It's available everywhere. There you go. So go and get a copy because um, it's a great book and uh, Phil's a great guy. And before we delve into our episode with Phil, um, should we read some tweets and reviews out? I think it would be rude not to, quite <laughs> frankly. Okay, so I'll do a tweet and I think you've got a, a review or two from, mm. uh, from Apple. Uh, here's a tweet from Susan Seddon. Hi, Hello, Susan. Susan. Uh, one of our regulars. And she says, I uh, really enjoyed listening to the latest episode with Leonie Banesh. Uh, love Leonie's performance in Around the World in 80 Days. Yes, yeah, brilliant. In that. That, yeah. It's a great show. And uh, yeah, lots of love coming in for Leonie's episode as well. Um, so yeah, if you haven't listened yet, dip, get, you know, scroll up on your uh, your pod feed, your, your app, and uh, do listen to Leonie's episode because it was great. Yeah, it was a really good episode. Leonie was fantastic and um, very lovely company, as are all our guests. Yes, um i've yeah. got some yeah a couple of couple of nice messages here on apple please feel free to rate and subscribe on apple if you haven't already it'd be it always really helps to get the um people looking and seeing and noticing the podcast so please do that if you haven't already um we're heading towards um 800 rankings or Whoa. something so it'd be nice to get up right. to 800 if we can so please yeah. do that if you haven't already 
Uh, but I know people listen to the podcast in all different places. But anyway, I've got one here from Daniel2451. He says, no explanation needed. It's just awesome. So that's very nice. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, and another one here from Sovars FR12W, some sort of strange kind of handles on here. But I, I love you guys. If you want to laugh out loud and feel smarter and feel the love, and yes, listen to Blank Podcast. So that's very wow. nice as well. Those are some lovely reviews. Mm. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, if you feel like leaving us a review or a five-star rating, please do pop over to the, your Apple Podcast app and do that. We would really appreciate it. Um, right, Giles, I think we've spoken long enough, as we yeah. often do at the top of the podcast. Um, here is this week's guest, the fantastic and fantastically lovely Phil Wang on the Blank Podcast. <laughs> podcast partner um, Pierre Novelli described the Yeti microphone as the AK-47 of podcasting <laughs> <laughs> and it's just such a spot-on description yeah. of it, it, is, it <laughs> you can leave it in a, you can leave it in a swamp and it'll be good in a year you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like to think if the A-team had like their their you know if they were podcasters they would use Yeti mics oh for sure yeah, yeah. or uh, Murdoch <laughs> might not to be fair but I never know which one to which. I've never actually watched the A-Team. Um, so Murdoch's the one that they sort of every episode burst out of the asylum. Um, uh, he's, the, he's the one with severe PTSD. Um, right. I mean, I think they've all got PTSD, but he's got severe PTSD. And is, you're, not is really, you're not really painting a, a sort of fun and happy show there, Giles, are you? Not really sort of well, it is a fun, it's it, a family it, show, it's though. It's just that 80s thing where, like, the premise is actually, when you think about it, really dark, but the execution is always very light. Yeah. <laughs> but when you stop to think for a moment what they're actually talking about, it's like, oh, wow, they're all suffering from post-traumatic stress. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but also, he's got a mohawk and they live in a fun van. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, it's fun, PTSD. And they help people and they build tanks at the end out of wood and sticks and and stones and <laughs> whatever they can get their hands on so yeah it's it's a, it is one of those weird kind of 80s and tv shows um phil it's lovely to meet you it's so excited to talk to you um oh you too and uh honestly this week i've been people have been asking me who we're we're podding with and I've, i keep saying well we're podding with phil, phil wang and everybody has been really excited um that i've spoken oh, to nice. in, the, in the real world and and i thought well you know look i can't speak for the rest of the country but certainly on the south coast we've got your back um <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a big fan base down here where oh where, where where on the south coast so i'm in seaford which is kind of just down the road from brighton oh okay 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 Wow, that is a that is a coastal name, C four. Yeah, that exactly. Is a watery yeah, yeah. Name. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. went straight for it, C Ford. Yeah, and then up the town up the road is called New Haven, which is um, okay. You know, so there's yeah, I think I'm a cocky actually. Yeah, New Haven. Well, it no. is because <laughs> because New Haven isn't. But to um, calling your own place a haven is like well, yeah. yeah. But what was wrong with the old Haven? I mean, that's yeah, exactly. well, quite, quite, quite. I don't think anyone's quite worked out. New Haven isn't as uh, picturesque and nice as Seaford um, either so the, the arrogance didn't sort of really pay off for them because it's just not as you know it's not as pleasant to be there well they're um, obviously overcompensating aren't yeah, they? It, <laughs> yeah. The, New Haven used to be called the gateway to Europe because um, the Dieppe ferry comes in to New Haven and I think 
back in the day, people probably did hang out in New Haven and Seaford, <laughs> but now yeah. they jump on a bus and go to Brighton because it's much more exciting. Um, but anyway, that's very bold calling yourselves the gateway a, to Europe. Well, quite. I mean, that's yeah. arrogant, that's borderline arrogant. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the New Haven Town Council have really, um, really do love themselves, but anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, enough of this tomfoolery. How does some free wine sound after a January that definitely lasted longer than scheduled and with Mother's Day creeping up on us around the corner? um, It's the perfect time to try your new favourite wine club, Wine 52, for free. That's right. All you've got to do is go to www.wine52.com slash blank and cover the postage costs of $5.95 and you'll get three bottles delivered to you. Now, Wine52 is a discovery club all about showcasing the very best wine from a different region each and every month. This month is the rightfully revered region of Bordeaux, which features a rich, gorgeous Bergerac from Fabien Castang, as well as a crisp and zesty Sauvignon Blanc from the award-winning Bordeaux families. How are my French accents there? Not great. Um, I actually have some with me here in front of me, so I'm going to give it a little taste right now. There we go. That is very nice indeed. Uh, that was the Burge wrap that I was trying then. And I'm going to go in for another. Do you know what? I'll wait till the end of the advert. If you have a preference on type, Wine52 have you covered as you have the choice of a mix, red only or white only case. Also included is Glug Magazine, which is a great name, which delves into each region's wine culture and two tasty snacks as well. After your free case, you'll join the monthly wine club, but there's no minimum commitment. And if it's not for you, you can pause or cancel at any time. So remember, that's www.wine52.com. That's the word wine and the numbers 52.com slash blank to claim your free case today. I, I've been reading your book and I love it. It's so good. Oh, um, thanks. Really love it. And um, I know you're very adamant that it's not a memoir, but I, I know yeah. at the beginning you start to sort of peel that away a little bit and, and sort of reveal it. It's part, <laughs> yeah, it, um, part memoir. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I just, I, just, I just think it's, yeah, for someone beneath the age of 50 to write a memoir, I think is arrogant. So I just didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to say that I was doing that. But then stand-up is kind of memoir anyway. Stand-up is just yeah. kind of spoken, exaggerated memoir. So that's, yeah, it's as, it's as much memoir as any stand-up is, I guess. Yeah, it's funny. I remember watching, in uh, this is, again, this like, like, probably in the 90s, This Is Your Life, which was this sort of um, kind of awful program where they used to bring out some sort of B or C list celebrity and then they would they would sort of talk them through their life and all their achievements and then people from their life would come through. And they did it once with um, the snooker player, Stephen Hendry. And I think he was about 21 at the time. And I remember thinking, how can he possibly be a prime candidate for this is your life when he's only 21 years old? And I I, kind of get what you're saying about not being able to... Yeah, I think you have to really have... You really need to have packed in the accomplishments. Like when Malala wrote her memoir i was like okay fair enough <laughs> I done a fair amount. yeah done a fair amount um but for me i was like nah nah I, but yeah hopefully hopefully it's not uh hopefully it's entertaining enough 
No, it's brilliant. Oh, by it's... the way, I've, I've, I've only just started my backup recording, just so you know. Don't worry, I, that's fine. We, we got into that conversation so casually and easily. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, we're very, we are, that's, that, I'm afraid that no, is to your way. credit. That's our, that's our, that, <laughs> that's our, our way. Um, but yeah, the, something that struck me at the beginning of the book, and often we start the podcast by talking about um, people's childhoods, and it, the thing that struck me was a, a thing about you talking about families and there's a bit at the beginning where you're, I know you go to the cinema where your mom and, um, mm. and you're sort of picked on by some, some youths, um, <laughs> some, some, it's a youths. pathetic story. Really. No, not yeah. at all. No, at all. But it did, did strike me. And, and, and the fact that you wrote about, um, how families in the UK often we do try and fly the nest quite quickly. We want to, you know, we don't like hanging out with our families and how, that was something that you were used to being in, in Malaysia where your family was quite close knit and you, you spent a lot of time with your family. And I, I was interested in that dynamic. It, so tell us a bit about how, you know, obviously you were born in Stoke, but then you moved to Malaysia and you spent sort of most of your youth there, didn't you? Yeah. So I was born in Stoke on Trent. My mum is from Stoke and, um, but three weeks after I was born, we flew back to Malaysia and that's where I grew up. Um, my dad's Malaysian, uh, Chinese Malaysian from Borneo, Sabah, which is the north, north, what used to be British North Borneo. Um, and so I, I was there basically until I was 16 and moved to the UK to do A levels and onwards and uh, stayed here since. So, you know, I'm 32 now. So coming up this year will be my, um, I don't know, my, my equivalence mark. I will have lived as yeah. long a life in the UK as in Malaysia, 1616, coming up this year. I'm thinking of having like a party with lots of Union Jacks and stuff, make it look really sort of <laughs> UKIP-y. I'm going to have like a really ukip kind of <laughs> party. <laughs> uh, like I'm finally, I'm finally as British as I'm Malaysian. Uh, so yes, but I grew up there until I was sixteen, and and my so I didn't have my British family there. It's all just my Malaysian family. My father's one of uh, eight, okay. so lots of cousins, lots of aunts and uncles, and because of the Chinese uh, culture and tradition, there's just lots of festivals, and you know, there's London Festival, Chinese New Year. Uh, uh, and then the old Malaysia has its own, there, there are the other Malay festivals, so there's the Indian festivals, but, but we spent all the Chinese ones together and then Christmas and, and, and so we'd go to each other's houses and there'd be 20 people there all related. And outside of that, I'd, I'd go to the cinema with my cousins, have sleepovers with my cousins. And so like your family was very much also your social life. Um, in a way that I found in the UK, it really isn't. Families are yeah. more, more about the nuclear family, they're about your, yeah. your direct relatives and the family seems and of course this is a generalization and there are lots of there are plenty of people for whom this is not true but in general um the, the nuclear family in the uk is sort of a chrysalis you know it's mm. where um, you're started as a child and you're grown into an independent adult as quickly as possible and then you're out on your own and you're yeah. you're living your own life uh, and so and so I tell the story at the start where I was laughed at at the cinema by these teens because I was just there with my mother watching a movie, just hanging out with old mum. <laughs> and I hadn't thought of it before as sort of an embarrassing thing uh, to do. Uh, but it just goes went to show this difference in culture between between the two. It should. I mean, it shouldn't be really an embarrassing thing to hang out with your 
Mama no, but it, it was also very much about like where they were at in life, where yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, they and at that age, fourteen, fifteen, you know, they're under so much pressure to to show that they are these individual agents, yeah, and grown up and you know and don't need the families and all this sort of thing. It's very true. So, so I actually I I lived in Malaysia when I was younger as well, but oh but wow, nowhere near as long for about six months. When but similar thing, I was born and then about a few months later, mum and dad were like, right, we're off to Malaysia. Cause my dad no way. A, yeah, my dad got a job out there working on a, a dam. Um, I say working on. He wasn't. That makes him sound like he was doing construction. He was. He was the accountant. Um, so it's not. Hey, not, not very important. Still an important yeah. job. Yeah, yeah still an accounting all the water. Yeah, accounting all the water going through, making sure. <laughs> exactly. No yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, where was the dam? It was. Do you know what? I actually had to ask my mum this morning because my memory is so bad. It was the uh, Sungai Shining Dam. I don't know if that's oh, a big. Okay. Is that a big dam? Sungai. I don't know if that's a popular dam. I, I, I don't know it. My father was a water engineer, so he. He'd be losing his shit right now, but I. <laughs> imagine if I'm they sure. crossed paths. They may have crossed paths at some point. They, they may have. They may have done. Well, but were you were you in West Malaysia? Were you in the peninsula of Malaysia? In Kuala, so Kuala we, Lumpur. Yeah, so we were in we were in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, Kuala oh, Narang. Yeah. Sorry, no, Kuala Narang. Oh, oh gosh, I've never heard of these places because uh, <laughs> yeah, peninsula Malaysia has all these bits that if you live in Borneo, which I did, you just never heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's so. cool. It's cool. But yeah, your, it's got, your first six months was it? I reckon it was six months and then we came back and then we went to Dubai and then we came another for a year, came back and then we moved to Spain for three years. So we were sort of around. You're unsettled. Yeah. Around and about quite a lot. Around and about Just quite a lot. But, but chasing dams. Yeah. Chasing Counting dams, numbers. Chase, chasing those sweet, sweet dams around the world. Uh, but I Don't go chasing England. waterfalls. <laughs> go chasing dams. I think that song was actually about my dad. I think he was the inspiration for TLC. Good old John right. yeah. <laughs> um, but you're right about because also my dad's family are are Irish and so he's one of a hundred or he's one of six that's exaggerated um, <laughs> yeah 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 I mean there's a, there's a very similar yeah there's real similarity there isn't there between Irish yeah. families and um and not not Chinese families because they're I mean Chinese mainland Chinese families are very small but uh, but Chinese diaspora families and where I was in Malaysia they were they were also uh you know, catholic as well so you know right. that, that religion is something that ties these yes. two ends of the earth together but it does but that that idea of family ties them as well i think and the fact that you would i'd imagine in ireland be really close to your family and you do things together and possibly all live together and and yeah over here it is so much about in the individual and the individualism and just yeah like, get your head down get your grades fuck off basically and there is a lot to that as well, you know. There's a lot of benefit to that, and that comes all out of uh, Christianity and the Renaissance and the sanctity of the individual. And that was very important back when we lived in societies that were what do you call it, um, a, a, like feudal societies, where unless you were landed, you you were worthless. And then Christianity came around, and and the Renaissance, and suddenly, oh, the individual matters, and the individual yeah. has rights. And that's how we end up at this point here. Whereas in like China, the main philosophical breakthrough was Confucianism, which is about hierarchy and the greater good. And so we end up with, you know, uh, large families and larger sense of, uh, uh, and so the, the sense of individuality is dissipated somewhat throughout your community. Yeah. And so I don't, there's no like correct answers. Each has its, each has its merits. Yeah. I think I would, I think I lean more towards the family. I just I think right, it yeah. feels because we, we live with my mother-in-law, which um, it's weirdly sort of seen as a bit of a weird thing to do by a lot of people sort of 
in the West for some reason. And yet I know that a lot of yeah. other cultures that you, you would. Oh, in Asia, that's the most normal thing in the world, yeah, to have the yeah. grandmother living. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't I feel like I'm trying to normalize it, essentially. That, that's, my, that's my crusade. I'm going to try and normalize the, <laughs> the mother-in-law. Uh, um, yeah. That, that, that sounds that, like a sitcom. Yeah, it, yeah, does. it really yeah. does. It's like, it really yeah, does. he was like, that sounds, that's a show. But yeah, in Asia, it's just normal. Yeah, and I do wonder if that... That is a changing trend, I think, probably in the West a little bit because, you know, obviously buying houses is incredibly difficult. So I know a lot mm. of people that are actually starting to move in with with elderly relatives or, you know, they're, bu- they're buying a place where it's got an annex or something like that. So th- maybe it's a changing trend, but obviously, society, you know, our view of that is still is still very different, um, which is a shame. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but also the UK has really benefited from um that from the sort of the individual uh that sense of individual enterprise you know it's a very advanced economy and country and powerful country because individuals have gone out and you know tried and striven you know yeah but uh but anyway that's just like that yeah that's that was just my start off point i I always wonder if that was if it's too sort of serious and heavy a starting point for what's meant to be a a light book (laughs) But it's just kind of where it began. No, but I think that's I think sometimes good to go in with with you know what with the sort of heavier topics first. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> then you kind of make making a stance to some extent. Um, what we do on the podcast, yeah, a little bit, heavy, yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> and then just reel it back over the rest yeah, to of the, the trivial um, as we get near the end. But yeah, no, but it really struck me. And and sort of when you came back here, w- did it take you quite a long time to adapt? to this sort of different well, I mean I guess you had peers that you started going to school and stuff and then college and stuff was it getting used to sort of a different way of living uh yes for sure I mean the main thing the main social change was starting a school at 16 years old in in the UK in Bath and the pressure to go out on the weekend and get alcohol illegally yeah. <laughs> was you know that's what's very strange um i was like what is the appeal here because it's very stressful to do illegal things yeah and and it's cold and <laughs> yeah. I, there's no there doesn't seem to be any purpose to going out we you go out you try and get served alcohol maybe you are then you drink it and then you just kind of stand around um and I, that was very peculiar to me so most of the time, like I, I, I went to like maybe one party in, in or, or two or something. I, I, most of the time, I was just like stayed at home, um, playing video games or having dinner with the folks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look back now and go, what a fucking loser. But by the time, it's like this, this is so so stressful having to go out on a, in the cold weekend every week. Uh, the other thing that I had to get used to was just like I moved to Bath, which is very white. In the book, I, des- I describe Bath as a spa town for people who find Cheltenham too ethnic. And <laughs> and it is really white. It's such a white town. And I just come from a boarding school in Brunei, which is right by Malaysia. And it was an international school. And there were all kinds of people from all over the world. And it was, it was fabulous. And then in Bath, it was just like so monochrome. Yeah. Uh, and that changed when I went to university and then in, in London, London's so multicultural, but there's a lot of the country that's, that still is, you know, very white. And that was something that I had to get used to. 
but all in all, you know, I think I've, I've acclimatized pretty well and I really love it here now, but those first few years were a bit strange for sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, my parents live in Titchestone in West Sussex and, um, lovely place but it's also it's also very white as well it, yeah. it's like you're on a sort of richard curtis movie set it is so white um but it's a very it's a very nice place yeah um, for sure and they like it down there as well but i think the sort of the beauty of someone like london is that is the diversity of it and the multiculturalism of it and really we are we are social beings and we are better t- together really so i think you know we are nothing if we're not in the pursuit of meeting other people from different cultures and backgrounds and learning from them and that helps us all grow i've got very deep there haven't I? very quickly that really that's nice it's beautiful oh thank that's you. really nice that's such a beautiful thing to say yeah I, I live i moved in i moved to peckham re, uh, recently and uh and this is how diverse it is here my my tesco express i still can't get over it the tesco express right near there, my, my house has milo do you know what milo is no yeah it's a chocolatey malty drink that is huge in the commonwealth Malaysia, it's a huge drink. It's it's kind of like a cocoa, but it's sweet and it's malty, and it's just it, in lieu of alcohol. Which in Malaysia, people don't really drink booze, so we have these mm. sort of sweet drinks with our meals. And Milo is one of them. You have it with ice or whatever, and and it's really hard to find in the UK. But because I live in Peckham, and because Peckham has a large Caribbean community, and and Milo is big in the Caribbean because it's just big in the Commonwealth. I've got Milo in my in my Tesco, which <laughs> is so brilliant. It's amazing, and like this Scotch bonnet pepper sauce and stuff. It's just like, so what you know, when when Britain is multicultural, it's brilliant because you can get Milo on the corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? I def- I 100% agree with you about sort of the the growing up and and suddenly trying to get served and get alcohol and that becomes like yeah, the aim with your mates oh. on a weekend. I, I would have much rather. <laughs> so stressful. Yeah, it is stressful. I'd have much rather like spent my time drinking uh, sweet drinks, one hundred percent. And I know that probably like wouldn't have been, you know, seen as cool at the time. But I'd well, have the, much the weirdest thing is like in 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 this place of alcohol, we needed to go out to, to meet to drink something to meet people with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it ended up being like coffee, and so we go for like we'll get a co- we're, we're sixteen years old and we're meeting for coffee. <laughs> Like we work in an office. It's just so weird. It's actually more weird than yeah. getting together and drinking beer. But we've been forced, our hands been forced, we've got to drink <laughs> like a pint of caffeine on a Saturday afternoon just so that there's a purpose to us going into town. It was, yeah, it's it's kind of loop to do it. I mean, really, I think the drinking age should be lowered. Um, okay, it should, probably should be more European. Our drinking culture in the UK is... Oh, it's nuts. It's atrocious yeah, because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's turned into, it's given so much novelty because of um, the, you know, the late drinking age compared mm. to Europe. And then the early closing times yeah. of bars means that you have to load in all your evening's drinks into three hours. And so people get wrecked. Yeah. You, you don't have, this doesn't happen elsewhere. This is very, very unique to the UK. This, the, the antisocial element of drinking here is very unique to the UK. I don't think people realize how unique it is. Like if you go to Spain, I remember going to Spain and like a one in the morning, there are families out and just yeah. having tapas on the street and people are drinking alcohol at a pleasurable pace. Yeah. Not like <laughs> yeah. they're trying to, not like they're, they're trying to beat the devil in a challenge. Yeah. And, 
and it's just so much nicer. But here we have this, yeah, well, really, yeah, dangerous drinking culture. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, so that was a that was a really jump in the deep end trying. That was like, okay, I, that's what that's what life, that's what being a teenager is about here. I think on some level, people in the UK actually almost wear that drinking culture as a badge of honour. I think that oh, for sure, for a lot of people. Yeah, how many how identity. many pints can I drink? Yeah. within that times period. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we see think, that when yeah. you know, we see it when we go abroad. We we're just incapable of like looking like being humane in any way because we're just like, come on, <laughs> I've got to <laughs> yeah. ruin my life in football, football four hours. Well, football fans are the worst. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like British. Um, I do think though, I actually, I, I think I would definitely lean towards drinking coffee more, more than alcohol now. But, and, and but I think if I was walking through a park now and I thought a group of youths drinking beer, I'd be a bit scared. If I walked through a park and saw a group of you <laughs> drinking coffee, I'd be fucking terrified. <laughs> yeah. What are they up to? Yeah, imagine walking through a park and there's five uh, five guys in hoodies yeah. and they're, they're, they're <laughs> sipping macchiatos. That's more sinister, isn't it? Like, yeah. what are you planning? They're going to be sharp. Whatever they're planning to do, they're going to be sharp <laughs> yeah, for it. Yeah. Be... And energetic. They will keep yeah. doing it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like something out of a Hitchcock movie. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so um, what was school like? Were, were, you, were you quite, and I know you went to Cambridge and stuff afterwards, but were you quite academic at school? Was, was schools an enjoyable place for you? Did you enjoy learning? Uh, yeah, I, I, the hardest part of school for me was the social element mm. and uh, sports and PE. I mean, it's a classic tale, you know, <laughs> boy meets school, school meets boy, boy is good at school, but bad at sports. And I, um, but the, the, the actual studying, I always found very easy. Um, well, I mean, I had, yeah, those splotches were, because in, in Malaysia, you have to learn, um, I was in Chinese school for a while, so you learn English, Malay, which is uh, the national language, and Mandarin. And I found Malay really hard for a while, and I kind of got the hang of it, and I found Mandarin really hard. Uh, so, the, yeah, the, the, those bits I found difficult, but like maths was always fine, and I found I found schoolwork kind of a refuge, and exam, I really liked exams, but it was everything else that I found more, more difficult. Um, and then moving to the UK for A levels, uh, I was fine because people people had sort of become a little more professional, and I went <laughs> oh, to like yeah. a, I went to like you know a private school where you know people were like oh, better you know better please the parents and all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, so, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, so schools the, the academic element of school is always fine for me, really. Yeah, There's the social more, stuff is hard. Yeah, there is there is more to it. Um, I think school. I remember going to university and sort of feeling like it was sort of fifty fifty, or maybe even sixty forty, or heavily weighted more towards the social side than actually 
I mean, I did a degree in journalism, so to be honest, it really wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. In fact, actually, it wasn't even printed on paper at my um, at my graduation ceremony. It wasn't, it wasn't worth the PDF. It was printed. On. <laughs> <laughs> my, grad- my university couldn't award degrees because it it wasn't a very good one. So my degree came from Nottingham Trent, which is also the not ah. good degree at the, the university in Nottingham. But it wasn't even ready for our graduation, so I just got given when I went up on stage in my big hat and gown. I got given an, an empty brown envelope, like I was sort of no, a, really? a spy or something. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, wow. It was, and then the the degree didn't come till much later. Um, ah. So, but yeah, it was. I think sort of growing up in general is uh, it's more is the social side of stuff is almost harder. I think, and I was lucky because oh, for sure. I mean, I, 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 being an adult, I don't, we don't talk about how great being an adult is. I don't know why <laughs> people, people bemoan, oh, learning to adult, oh, adulting is hard. It's so, you can do whatever the fuck you want. It's so <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. I hated being a child. I hated, I really hated it. I didn't, I don't understand nostalgia about childhood. I found it difficult. I was, people, I felt patronized. I couldn't drive anywhere. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't vote. I couldn't make money. And I, 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 being an adult is great. It's so good. It's everything it was cracked up to be. If it's everything I cracked it up to be. Anyway. And do you think the, yeah. um, cause I agree. Like I don't look back on my teens and think, oh, I wish I was 16 again. Cause it was just like, it was just <laughs> yeah. like awkward as fuck. And yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. And, but like, I, I, I think probably I would be like 22 again. Maybe I feel like 21, 22 might be the sweet spot maybe for being an because because like you're in your body's at its peak so like you know i play a lot of footballs so like ath- athletically i could like play football like now i'm 37 i can like barely do half an hour at the end um and that's vets football which is very slow um but yeah and also i had i was like i don't know did i have money I well have money, speak for yourself i'm still getting i'm still working towards my physical peak i think <laughs> i think 34 that's what that's my plan <laughs> As someone le- who I've was... got my own leveling, leveling up plan, and it's but thirty four. <laughs> I'm going to finally have a six pack. I would if you uh, if you do achieve that, uh, please do tell me how because as someone who has recently been 34, uh, that was not my experience of being 34 at all. Um, but <laughs> I, I've got I, I, I've got a personal trainer now because I'm just like I can't trust myself to have the discipline to work out. So I'll pay a man to literally yeah. come to my house. Yeah. He's actually coming this afternoon and make me exercise in the garden. Yeah. And my I'm just in constant pain. I'm sleepy all the time now. I'm just always tired. My body's just always recovering. <laughs> but I have to, I got to do it. I just got to do it. I've just I never enjoyed exercise and I've never enjoyed sport because I don't have, are you guys competitive? I, I just, I've never had a competitive streak in me. Like if someone scores, the other team scores a goal, I'm like, Ah, good for them. They seem to be happy. <laughs> yeah. well, congratulations, guys. Yeah. Doesn't go down well in the home end. Um, no, I, uh, I'm not. No, I don't. Outside of ninety minutes, I don't think I am. But there is something about the ninety minutes of what we're both Crystal Palace fans, Charles. And I said something oh, about what, okay. watching your team. Yeah, in the action, maybe I am a bit. But I think outside of it, I couldn't care less about transfer rumors or like team news or like this guy's playing out of position. Don't care. But like in the ninety minutes, there's something about that. That I, I guess the last time I had that was I was um, I watched uh, the Euros final, um, England, it, England Italy, Italy. Yeah. and I was in Brooklyn at the time in New York, and like I, I searched, I looked out like for bars, and I found like a sports bar and. I watched it. It was so funny because because I knew how what a big deal it was here. I got there like two hours early, and because it's America, it's like it was empty. 
Yeah. Uh, people didn't start turning up to like half an hour. So I was just sort of sat there for two hours. Um, Meanwhile, people in the UK are breaking into the stadium, putting flares yeah. up their ass. Yeah, They're yeah. really going. It's nuts. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. I was looking at those stories like, Jesus, I'm so glad I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but it was funny watching because the, the people who came were really into it. Because obviously New York has an enormous Italian um, population. And surprisingly, and there were actually a lot of people in, in like England tops as well. And eventually everyone got packed in and watching those 90 minutes that and and really loving this England team and really hating yeah. this Italian team. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was it was an easy one to get competitive about mm. because the England team was so lovely. Yeah. And the Italian team was so ghastly. <laughs> it was just. It was, yeah, it, it was such a battle of good versus evil. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. it was like Star Wars. It was great. Um, and I remember like watching that penalty shootout and, and processing it like I never processed anything in sports before. I was just like, I, I was, yeah, I was so, I, I was so upset when they won, but the, when it's Italy won and I got out of the booth and I walked out of the bar and instantly I was reset to factory settings. <laughs> yeah. Instantly yeah. I was like, ah, okay, that was nice. So yeah. anyway, up to my next thing. And then I looked to my left and there was a guy in an England top and he was just crouched on the ground, just head in hands. Like his year was ruined. Yeah. And I just thought, I'm glad I'm not like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, in a way, it's really nice to care about something that much. Yeah. But also like, I've got shit to do. I can't, <laughs> and I have enough. <laughs> I have enough to mourn. I don't need another thing to mourn on a regular basis. You know. Well, I wouldn't recommend sporting Crystal Palace because uh, unfortunately there's, there's more of those moments. Than there are. <laughs> and this is, some, this is another telling thing of the, the British psyche. More often than not, people tell you what club they support and then go, oh, I wouldn't recommend it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. boy, it's the worst thing in my life. I mean, it's all I care about with all my heart, but please, for your own mental and emotional health, do not follow me. I have, not I have ruined my life for the last 30 years, and I just want to let you know that. Um, but it's I such a British it, yeah. thing, isn't it, to, to, to yeah. almost love the, the, the strife, the difficulty more than the victory. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's encapsulated in... Um, four li- four lions. That's the name of the song, right? Three lions. Three lions. Yeah, yeah. Three lions. Yeah. You know the song. It's coming home. It's like, and it, it's kind of, it's sarcastic almost. Yeah. And yeah, kind of yeah. People, and people sing it sarcastically. Yeah, yeah. And that's what other countries didn't understand. They're like, oh, the English fans are so arrogant singing about winning. <laughs> yeah. No, we're all yeah. being sarcastic. We yeah. we yeah. kind of know it's not going to happen. Every time we move ahead, we we're in dis- we sing it in disbelief and sarcasm. Yeah. And that it says so much about the British psyche. Yeah. Um, and also like the craziness in London when the final happened, it all happened. I read there's a really good um, article about it. It's by, um, shout out to a brother. He's a, a British Chinese sports writer. He's very good. I can never remember his name, but he's like, he writes for The Athletic. I uh, can't remember his name. Um, I wrote about how all the craziness happened before the match. And once we lost, which is when you'd expect the real disaster to be in people just went home yeah. all the destruction happened before is excitement people couldn't yeah. the excitement was what people could not process the disappointment was completely fine that's what people are used to and I they just be- went straight out was that because yeah. they weren't angry at the end they were just heartbroken and when you're heartbroken you don't have the energy to do anything you're just your whole 
Again, I wasn't. I, I'm not one of those well, fans. Yeah. That's like, but there's more reason to be angry beforehand that you should have been celebrating afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You know, with that, with the, you know, with, when Saka basically got oh, decapitated with the, yeah. by with a tug, yeah. like that's when you should be angry. Yeah. But, but we're so used to losing that we're like, okay, now we're back. That's maybe they just they used up all the cocaine pre-game, and I think maybe <laughs> yeah, they're all on come downs for sure. <laughs> yeah, for exactly. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So going again, going back to. Um, your kind of journey what when did you start to sort of get into comedy was i know you did stuff at cambridge but did you have a sort of inkling into drama or performance when you were doing your a levels or anything like that when i was a child like eight years old the first thing i ever wanted to be was a clown like an actual clown with the nose and makeup and running around and sort of thing um, and then I moved away from that, uh, you know, as I got older, I got really into maths and science and, and my father's an engineer. So I thought, ah, oh, I'll probably be like an engineer or scientist or something. And then when I was about 16, people started in my boarding school in Brunei, people started circulating YouTube clips of the comedian Russell Peters. I don't know if you know Russell Peters. Yeah. He's an uh, Indian Canadian uh, comedian, and he does stuff about um being Indian, um, but then also all the other cultures, Chinese, Arab, and he he became huge because these observations were really good and his impressions are really good. Like his impression of a Chinese person um, is really funny because it's really spot on and it's quite a good accent. Uh, and so he just became huge the world over and because we lived in it, the school is very um, diverse, everyone had everyone was really into it and so that started circulating i was like wow this is an asian guy who's being funny on stage and then i started watching other youtube clips and and just got really really into it and then when i moved to bath uh my my the drama teacher i wasn't doing drama but the drama teacher put on a comedy night called club haha i still remember it now <laughs> and it was it was for the improv group he he created out of the drama kids and i saw so he on the on the posters like advertised five minute open spots available and then i went up to him and i was like can i can i can i do the show and he because i was i, was, I wasn't a funny kid I was quite shy, really. He was like, oh, yeah, I think we've got a couple of seats left. He thought I just wanted to watch. I was like, no, I, can I do the stand-up? And he was like, oh. And he, you could see that he was like, oh, God. <laughs> Should I let him do this? Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, you can you, you can do five minutes. And so I prepared like five minutes. I was A lot of it was, it was mainly stolen material. I mean, there's a lot of Russell Peters stuff there that I just swapped out Indian for Chinese. Um and yeah, it's just a lot of stand-up I'd seen and pieced together and sort of slightly changed into my own. So the material wasn't original, but I, I sort of showed to myself that I could do it. And the gig, the gig, the show went really well. Uh, people laughed, and I was able to deliver. I had the timing, and I had the stage presence, and and it worked fine. And then I did another gig in town, like an actual adult gig. I forgot to write the closing joke, so eventually I just went uh that i've run out and i got off stage and this must be when i was 17 18 and then school had another a club haha but this time in the assembly hall it had gone up yeah this was mainstream this was bbc one um and i wrote like a completely original 10 minutes about the school about the students about the teachers and like it, it went down really well and I've, I, it's a set I've only performed once. I can't perform it ever again. But that was kind of like uh, 
the, my birth, I guess, as a, as a stand-up. And then I went to Cambridge. There was a lot of comedy in Cambridge. And I was there for four years because I was doing a master's. And um, and that's sort of where I found my feet and, and cut my teeth. Uh, the main thing was in my at the end of my second year, I won a competition called the Chortle Student Comedy Comedian of the Year, uh, which is just students from down the UK. It's like a knockout thing and the finals in, at the Edinburgh Fringe, and I won. And then I still had two years of university. Um, but I got signed off of that competition win. And when I was at uni, I just sort of I went straight into comedy, really. So I, I had a really pretty easy path you know well not i don't know about easy but uh, smooth you know it's I, I was very lucky to know from a very young age that this is what i wanted to do that um that second uh school gig where obviously you got invited back because obviously the first one i'd gone so yeah re- yeah exactly yeah. For the second yeah that's right yeah, yeah i'm guessing you're probably headliner i'm guessing by that point or, uh... <laughs> no not quite though that was reserved for the the improv group themselves it was their gig fair enough oh fair <laughs> enough um yeah. but that, that's it is i guess it's kind of risky sometimes doing material about the school and the teachers and stuff because uh especially teachers could you know it could not go down well obviously it did, but <laughs> yeah it could have been a, it could have been a risk well yeah i mean that's a very important thing in comedy is like being able to pitch the yeah. how the meanness because I, I i always like comedy to comedy is always a bit mean about someone but you have to get it right if you go too mean it doesn't work if you're not mean enough it's just limp you have to yeah it's like you have to hit the goldilocks point right yeah so i guess that's my first exercise in like how much can you make fun of uh mr mainwaring being welsh without <laughs> <laughs> without being offensive you know i just stuff you know <laughs> And it served me well to this very day. <laughs> so yeah, we, I guess it's uh oh sorry, Josh. No, 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 go go for it. I was gonna say I guess it, it's it's being mean with love, isn't it? It's like being mean but like on their side rather than just being like this guy's a loser. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's it's yeah. it's done with heart, I guess is the way to do it, I guess. Yes, yes, yes. Um and and also um to be um, to find an to find an observation about something or someone that rings true that can carry you a lot. If, if something rings true, people are people are quite willing to put up with a lot if it rings true. I found, yeah, uh, yeah, and if it's funny, of course, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the well, two often go hand in hand. Yeah. yeah, well, truth is a big thing in comedy. It has to be true, doesn't it? You, you make stuff up. It. It doesn't ring. It doesn't resonate with people. But if you're talking yeah. to them about you know things that they're going to empathise with, then it's going to be funnier. Um, preparing for those, I was just interested to know how you were preparing for those gigs. Did you do like were you practicing in your room in front of the mirror? You know, like we we hear yeah. about people practicing with a hairbrush in the front of the mirror. <laughs> music. Were you do Were you doing that kind of thing? Were you Were you showing it to anyone else? Was there anyone else oh, you were sort of sharing it with? As you can probably tell on this Zoom, I don't brush my hair, so I didn't have a brush. <laughs> um, I, I, I was definitely when I started off, I was so disciplined about it. I was so I found I, I treated it so like officially stand up, um, because I was a good student. That's kind of how I pr- approach everything. Was just with preparation, type uh, typing it out. So I'd type out for the for like the first three four years of me doing stand up. I would type out in prose 
the stand-up onto an A4. I print it out and I'd read it like a script and I learn it and I just practice the lines, you know. Um, I mean, I wish I could remember how I prepared for them, but that must have been it. I type, I typed, I typed it out in a word document and rehearsed it. And I mean, it was, a new, it was 10, 10 minutes of brand spanking new material. I mean, it's something that I'd yeah. be nervous about doing now. <laughs> when you're, <laughs> when, you know, when you're eighteen and full of vim, you know, you're like, why not? I can do this, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's how I prepared. I just, yeah. There, there were no warm up gigs. I just had to practice in my home and. And do it, but yeah, I, I still do that now from time to time. If I have the discipline, I just walk around my room and I say the stand up out loud. And you actually come up with a lot of jokes doing that because stand up is very unique context. So you kind of have to, if you can, simulate the context of being on stage in a comedy club. And that's when you come up with the lines. I've actually started going to gigs early now. Um, because being in the environment itself helps. Being in the environment gets you thinking about jokes that would work well there. It's much harder to write stand-up jokes outside of a stand-up environment so at home. It's really hard because it's actually quite a weird situation, stand-up. So, but once you're in the club with an audience humming behind the wall, you, you're in the zone, you're in the context of it. And that's why, that's why I come up with a lot of my best jokes, actually. It's just in the moments before I'm on stage. And I guess as well, like maybe after gigs as well because there's always that sort of post gig buzz and uh, i find sometimes my creativity is like really in that in that sort of uh that 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 adrenaline rush is really high do you find that sometimes that maybe after a gig you're like oh i can say this this this, and this because you're you're working at sort of a different level because you're so the uh the adrenaline's pumping no i don't find that I, i find actually i'm my adrenaline come down is very quick and I, I can really do have a really good gig and I come off stage and then and I'm just terrible conversation because <laughs> I'm just I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I just like because I've just spent it all. Mm. Yeah. And I'm actually I'm quite I'm not very good company right after a gig. Yeah. It, if I'm really good on stage, I'm, I'm bad company afterwards because I'm just like I'm spent. So if you're good company afterwards, it's not being a good. Yeah, it's been, it's been, I've, I've really, yeah, I've really died. I've heard stage. that before. I think we, when we talked to Jessica Foster Q, she said something similar that she doesn't actually want anyone around her after a gig because she's kind yeah. of done, she's done the gig. It's, and- po- it's, 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 a, it's very post-coital. I guess that's mm. the most similar experience I've had is it's post-coital. You're, you're kind of spent and you're kind of suddenly tired and you kind of want to be alone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're a bit hungry, actually. Um, <laughs> you don't want to cuddle the promoter. Try and cuddle the promoter. It's like, well, you get off me. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but is it? But I think it depends on your personality type as yeah. well. Yeah. So, yeah. do you, do you take yourself off after it? So, like, do you try and remove yourself from the? Oh, that's inappropriate. It sounded so much like you're talking about one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was not word that way at all. I'm, I do apologise. <laughs> well, you might. It might be a way of uh, helping you um, get off to sleep or something. But um, I mean, do you? Do you yeah. Do you? T- do you head off straight away from a gig? Do you try and you know escape as quickly as possible? Yeah, usually. Last night, you know, I finished and I was fully expecting to just get out of there. But there, there are a couple of beers um, go in, and I had a couple of beers and I started chatting to the guy who ran the the bar that we were at and the promoter and oh, that's really, really nice. But then I'm like, okay, I'm gone. I'm going to, cause I'm kind of, yeah. If, if I've had a good gig, it's only downhill from there. So I'm like, I don't want to disappoint anyone with my conversation. So I'm just going to get out of here. 
uh, yeah. But I've started getting really tired. I'm just really sleepy these days. What's so all this sleepy. fitness you're doing? I think it is, you know. Yeah. My body's not used to being used. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think I, yeah. performing is exhausting. You know, I mean, I've, I've never done stand-up, mm. but I've played in, in bands and stuff and like doing yeah. gigs, like... Yeah, like rock gigs and stuff. It is. It's really exhausting because because well, of the whole preparation and then the performance mm-hmm. and then yeah, like you say the come down from it. Well, so they say that when you're performing like that, your body's going through a flight, a fight or flight response, right? Because you're being faced with this, what your body so sort of perceives as a threat, really, standing up in all in front of all these people to be judged. Yeah, and your and your mind is going, trying to decide whether to to run or to fight. Um, most people would run, which is why they say, oh, I can't imagine doing comedy or I can't imagine playing a musical instrument on stage. But if your response and your career is to fight, <laughs> you can do that, but it's very mentally taxing and, and it's, it, it's, emo- it's, it's emotionally draining. It takes a lot of, you don't really perceive it at the time, but you, you know, you're using a lot of energy to, to, to fight the instinct to, to get out of there. And so when you come off, you're like, whew, I feel like I've run a half marathon or something yeah yeah that, it can be exhausting that initial fight or flight like obviously like goes back to like cavemen being faced with a dinosaur or something and so they're literally in a position <laughs> where they need and yet you are choosing to stand up in front of that dinosaur and then deliver like 20 minutes of stand-up material probably about being a caveman or dinosaurs or something so it's a very weird you want to like, do it about being a dinosaur because you want the dinosaur to be able to relate yeah yeah, yeah it definitely <laughs> you don't want to be telling him about being a caveman because then dinosaurs like well i don't i can't i don't know i can't relate to this yeah yeah, yeah. you need to do a joke Wheels? about short arms about? or something like that yeah know. exactly yeah all the supposable thumb materials yeah. came right over my head <laughs> yeah but yeah but you're choosing to be in that moment. Like it's, I think most people fight off flight is something they don't choose to be in. And they, that's when they, the urges come to, to fight or to leave, but you're sort of choosing to be in that moment. So it's another added. Yeah. You, you get addicted to the rush. It's like people who get addicted to uh, roller coasters. You get addicted to the fear um, and, and, uh, and overcoming the fear. It's very addictive. Um, like it's funny when I was a teenager at university, like, I didn't touch drugs. I had no interest at all. Yeah. And it sounds cheesy, but it's honestly because I got my eyes doing stand-up regularly. That rush, was that was the thing I got addicted to. And it is narcotic, you know. And it has, follow, has all the same patterns, you know. It's the rush, the come down, the, the regret sometimes, you know, <laughs> and then looking forward to your next hit. It, it's, it's very, very similar. It's a dopamine hit, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I totally get that again from being like planning bands and stuff. It's I, I never dabbled with drugs or anything because I just that was that was the thing, you know, just getting on stage and performing gave yeah. me everything I needed and some stuff I didn't need. Um, it's something you talk about in the book as well about um, again going back to that story with uh, your mum is that feeling of um, those difficult moments sticking with you and sometimes and I, I, we talked we sort of touched on it a little bit there our pr- sort of primeval brains do tend to sort of negate um the good stuff and we, we keep the, the negative stuff sort of stays with us um and yeah. i wondered how what you're like in those moments where you maybe have a difficult time with a gig for example are, are you able to move on from it quickly or is it something that stays with you um it takes about a week, maybe. 
I mean, as I've gotten better at it, the, the deaths happen less frequently, but they never stop happening. Um, no matter how long you've been doing this, you never stop dying. It just becomes less regular. Uh, and now if it happens now, yeah, it'll take me about a week to get over, but I'm, I'm very prone to self-punishment. So I, 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 I will, there's still some deaths now, like from time to time, if I'm, if I'm having a nice time, my brain will go, okay, you're having too nice time. Remember this? And I go, <laughs> oh fuck yeah, the car, that was bad. Why did I, didn't I prepare more? Why did I do that? Why did I think that was a good idea? But the, it's, it's those failures that make you better and you know, you learn from. Uh, also, also like the, your first death as a standup is the most empowering experience you can have in, in those days because you realize you survive. You realize you, it's not the end of the world, that you can get over it. And then you're less scared the next time and you're able to overcome it next time better. But yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the failures always weigh heavy on me. The, the successes straight out of the head, mm. forget about them. But the failures always stick with me. But hopefully that, that's what makes a good creator and a good creative is, is not resting on your laurels and, you know, always wanting to improve. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. And you're right about that sort of resilience of creativity that I think, I think a lot of people would have a bad gig, maybe when they're starting off and then think, I can't, I can't deal with that again mm-hmm. and maybe stop. But you're right. There's a, in a lot of creatives, there's that resilience to get back on and do better or learn from yeah. it or try again. And that really is, I guess, the, the, the quality that keeps you going to whatever level you get to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's kind of the adage in stand-up is the, the real, you know, you know you're a comedian when you come back after your first death. Yeah. 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 The people who don't come back, it wasn't for them. But if you come back after your first bad death, then yeah, you're, you're, you're a comedian probably. <laughs> I think I guess, I guess that's probably true, Giles, of all creative industries. Like I think if you you know if you play music and even kick it doesn't go well, or you're a painter and you just fucked up a painting or something, I don't know. Like it is, if you sort of come back to it, then you are a creative, or you are because it's it's clearly something in you that you can't get rid of after one bad gig, and it's something that drives you regardless of how how think, much you fucked up that pillow you were sewing or something. Yeah, I think it's you. I think it's quite unique to performance though. I think, you know, with regards to, because you're there in the moment and if you, like, you die on stage or whatever, it's a very visceral kind of experience. Whereas if you, you know, you're painting, you fuck up a painting, you can, there's a chance you might be able to rectify it. Um, or if you write, a, you know, if you're writing a book and it's not quite working, you can, you can go back and change it. Whereas I think you're in a moment of performing in front of someone, that moment is captured and that can be, that can be really hard, I think, if you're, if it's not going well. As yeah, opposed it's to rare things. for, yeah, because it's 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 unique in that there are not many jobs where when you are working, you're the only person working, yeah. and and everyone is watching you. Yeah, yeah. You everyone's know? passive. And if yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're not working for a very long period of time, but when you are working, you're the only one working. <laughs> yeah. It's all on you. You know, uh, yeah, that's what's uh, unique about it. I think. Yeah. But even in those moments where like it goes badly and stuff, it's not, I think it's really, um, it's a very human trait to internalize it and blame yourself and be like, oh, why did I try this bit or whatever? Or I said something wrong or whatever. But 
it's not always like the environment sometimes can be set up against you yeah uh, that's true. the room yeah. could be set up against you like it's not but i think we're very quick as humans to blame ourselves when mm. i mean comedy is a collaborative experience anyway you know when you've got yeah. the mc or whatever or the, the promoter yeah i room. think I'm, i think i've been doing it long enough now that i know when it's my fault and i know when it's the audience's fault and i know when it's the setup's fault and i know when it's a combination of them all uh, uh yeah so there can be a danger sometimes of blaming the audience and i've seen comics who blame the audience too quickly and too often when it's often not the audience's fault and that's not good either so you 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 i think you need some self-awareness and uh, you need to let go of your ego and you need to know when it's your fault and when it's the situation's fault yeah yeah i think that's fair i think that's what you can always do better like even if you have a good gig uh, I think it's important to part to strive to try and improve, even if it's a little bit, you know. But you can always, you can always do better. And I guess that in itself is a, also the sort of the sort of aim of creativity that you can have a great gig, but you can always think, oh, I could have done that joke a bit differently, or, or add a little bit on there, or something. And that, you know, that's quite that's quite an encouraging way of thinking, actually. That that bad or good, there's always some, something to be learned from it, and always something better to be added on from it. And that in yeah. itself keeps you going. You know, Kevin after. Bridges, Kevin Bridges, this comic said a great stand up, said this great thing. He said, um, good gigs, you know, good audiences help you write and bad audiences help you edit. Yeah, which is spot on. So That's you're nice. right. There's exactly there's always something to get from a, from a gig. So if something's really going well, you can just go off on these flights of fancy, you can try yeah. all this new stuff. And when a crowd is tough, you're like, okay, what is the vital bit of this material? What is the bit that I actually need? What is the yeah. fluff that I can get rid of? Yeah. Yeah. So there's always you, yeah, there's always something to learn for sure. That's yeah, lovely. that's that's really good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Going back to the book, obviously we started talking about the book. Um, what I guess what first got you into writing the book? What was the the process of writing the book? And you know, um, yeah. Was it a cathartic experience? I know that's a word we use a lot these days, cathartic, but was it a cathartic yeah, well, there's, experience? There's, there's a lot to catharticize yeah. these days. Isn't there? <laughs> um, it was, in, in a lot of ways, it was a cathartic experience because I had all these stories and stuff about myself that I could never really make work a stand-up. I was never really interested in turning to stand-up if, into stand-up because I thought it was a bit waffly or a bit like self-indulgent. Uh, whereas in a book, you get a little more space. In stand-up, you're like, Where's the next gag? Where's the next gag? And there's often not enough space to to talk at length about things. Whereas in a book, you get more space. You can talk about stuff. You you know, there's still jokes in it, but you're you're allowed to explore ideas a little more deeply. And being able to talk about my family and talk about Malaysia like that uh, was it felt like I was getting all the stuff out, and that felt good. I mean, the main pleasure of writing the book really honestly was learning about my family that it's, it's at least in my experience, you don't know how much you don't know about your family until you have to write a book about them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and my mother it was great speaking. I just, I was just in constant email conversations. With my mother, she was like my unofficial researcher. She knew all the family stories. She was digging up old like letters my grandfather wrote or photos and, and I was calling my uncle David, um, who's the eldest on my father's side in Malaysia, learning about that, the history of that side of the family. And I mean, the craziest thing is I writing this book was the first I learned my grandparents' names on my father's side, because they died when my grandfather, my, they died when my father was like in his 20s. And so we never, my generation never, ever met them. 
We only knew them as Gungung and Popo, which just means grandfather and grandmother. Um, and then it got to the moment where I was speaking to my uncle David, and it's like, oh God, wait, what were their what were their names? And I found out my grandmother's name was Sano. Um, my grandfather's name was Wang Yap Kong. And and it's like it was just so peculiar because I was like, I can't believe I've never ever asked their names. Yeah. They just never come up. Yeah. So that was really nice. Hmm. Yeah, it's I, it, I think about that quite a lot. Family and and uh, all my grandparents have, have, have passed away, and and I was sort of closer to some more than others because because some of them died when I was younger, and yeah, the other sort of stayed around till I was in my twenties. And there's something about when you're a kid, like it it doesn't not lame, but like it it doesn't it, it doesn't seem interesting to learn about your family or know about it. I think you've got so much going on in your own life. You're it's sort, sort of, of assumed. It it's assumed it's knowledge. Assu- you assume, yeah. yeah. But then there's something about when you get older. I don't know. It's because I've started a family now, or like we're, we're actually no. I want to know all this information. I want to sort of soak it up like a sponge, and it's really important to me. And I, I kind of feel a bit gutted that I didn't ask more questions when I was younger. And I don't know if that's just an age thing, but family I think it almost gets thing. more important. I think you grow up looking outwards, and then you age looking inwards, right? And you, uh, once you go out into the world and you've met the world then you found your place in the world yeah. that's when you start looking back in on 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 your own origins and your own life and and it's also almost like a it's it's sort of a stereotype of the middle-aged man charting out the family tree and yeah, yeah. and doing ancestry.com and all that sort of thing yeah. but it but it's completely understandable especially yeah. as you say if you've started your own family yeah I, and then I'm your kids will be yet. like, oh, dad, I'm not interested. Oh, oh, and, then yeah, exactly. and then they'll get old and they'll be like, oh, why didn't I learn more about my family? And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's and the so tale of so all the time. Circle yeah, yeah. of life. Yeah, yeah for exactly. sure. Phil, yeah. it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your company. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah, no, so nice. Really, really loved yeah, it. Um, yeah, it's been real pleasure and um, a privilege. Can I just say that out of all our episodes, um, this is probably one of the most varied because I'm looking at my tabs and my uh, Chrome and I've got Milo. Russell Peters, Milo. Milo yep. Sorry, Milo. Russell Peters, Robert Patterson, microwave. I mean, that is a real scary. <laughs> you have to look up microwave. You didn't know what a microwave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> quietly yeah. Google microwave. Oh yeah, and like pasta. microwave pasta. That's that's weird. That's so gross. Microwave. <laughs> we're all learning. Everybody yeah, learning. Yeah. All day. So. Oh, Phil. Thank you so much. Um, thanks, Phil. Honestly, it's been thank you guys. Really, real pleasure to talk to you. And um, yeah, thanks for your time today. Yeah, really lovely. Cheers, guys. I'll I'll see you you next time. Well, there you go. Phil Wang on the Blank Podcast. What a great guy. Absolutely lovely fantastic comedian brilliant author and uh just a very nice guy and uh i love these episodes when we can sort of dance around from the silly and the funny um into sort of more deeper topics as phil did sort of seamlessly really so uh it's probably one of the reasons he's so good at performing and, and writing as well so uh yeah just a lovely guy and uh wish him all the best yeah absolutely yeah he, he really indulged us you know where i was waffling on about all sorts of nonsense <laughs> and uh so i really appreciated him being on board for some of that stuff and uh also some fantastic um content in the patreon episode so yes. if you're not a patreon 
um, subscriber, then please go over and head over to Patreon. What's the handle, Jim, for that? It's uh, patreon.com, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash blank podcast. And there you can get extra content with Phil, which is some very, very funny yeah. extra content. Um, and with all our guests each week as well. So please do head on over there. The, we've only got one tier. It's $5, five US dollars, which is about four quid in the UK or I think about four euros if you're on the continent or it, it will translate into your native uh, currency. Um, but yeah, please do sign up because uh, you get, you not only do you get the extra content, you get it, uh, the pod an hour early and you get it without um, spot ads in the middle of the pod as well. Yeah. So please do sign up at patreon.com slash blank podcast. Yeah, do. Cause there's some really good stuff. Um, yeah. Some theories that we, that <laughs> some theories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, very much some important um, theories. Yeah. But no, what a great chat. Love talking to Phil. Um, such a brilliant guy. And um, yeah, just, yeah, he's one of those people, like I say, you sort of see him on TV on various panel shows and he's got a brilliant Netflix special out as well. And I just, it's lovely to see him doing so well. Um, very, very talented comedian. It's just nice because like, obviously I think the comedy industry maybe 15, 20 years ago probably had a reputation of being quite sort of like hardy and quite and cutthroat. And mm. a lot of the comedians, I think certainly older ones, maybe doing older material, I think probably weren't the nicest, but there's a real sort of new crop of comedians coming through who are just lovely people. And we've had a lot of them on this podcast and it just really makes for a nicer environment in the comedy industry, makes for nicer gigs. It, it helps. I think it really improves everything. And, and Phil's just another one of those. It's a really nice guy, thoughtful, intelligent guy. Um, and just really, really lovely. And I think that's, I think the, the, the comedy industry benefits from people like him, uh, not just for his obvious talent, and he's a very good comedian, but I think being that nice personality as well, um, I think is great. And it was lovely to have him on. And I, I thought he'd be nice and uh, delighted that he was mm. even even nicer than I thought he'd be. Yeah, I think thoughtful is the word, actually. Yeah, very thoughtful and erudite and and, and bright, bright, very bright guy and, and, and you know, can convey his ideas very concisely and yeah. um, and explains things very, very diligently and um yeah it was just great to talk to him so yeah but he's happy to do the yeah. silly stuff as well of course ideal for us so i think that's yeah. lovely so thank you phil thank you so much for um for coming on and all the best with with the book and, and everything really so uh, absolutely top man and um, if, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to let us know what your favorite bit was or that you've just enjoyed it please do get in contact with us on twitter or instagram our handle is at blank pod indeed um and obviously, you know, we might read your tweet out in the future as we do at the top of the pod. So we love hearing from you. We'd also, love to read your tweet out. We'd love to. Or Apple Review, um, mm. if you are on listening on iTunes, and do go review over there as well. And we'll, we might read some of those out as well. So, uh, But a big thank you to all our listeners and patrons. You know, we love them loads and we, we, we do appreciate the support every day. We do. There's not a day go by I don't think about the support. We are lucky. We are, we are very lucky. We are. Um, and we'll be... Lucky enough to be back next week with another guest on the Blank Podcast. Yes. But until then, Giles, have a have a good week. You too, Jim. And we'll see you again next week on the Blank Podcast. Goodbye. So it's um
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Thank you.